here in New England, of course, we know maple, we love maple. We would never consider putting corn syrup or, you know, some of these other syrups on our <laughs> on our pancakes. However, across the country, you know, even around the world, maple syrup is becoming appreciated for, you know, for, for its nutritional value and its, its many uses as, you know, as sugar and candies and um, ingredients in a variety of different products. Hi, I'm Gretchen, and welcome to Before It's Gone, the podcast about what we might lose to climate change. Today's episode is about liquid gold, also known as maple syrup. As someone who grew up in Vermont, I have a reverence for real maple syrup. I've even been known to bring my own to brunch after a few too many times of being told, oh yeah, sure, we have real syrup, and then getting Aunt Jemima with my waffles. That cannot happen. I need waffles, and I need real syrup. My guest this episode is Dr. Lisa Chase. She's a researcher at the University of Vermont, and she's got some very interesting information about how maple producers are dealing with climate change. So I worked with a colleague in New York, Diane Keene from SUNY ESF, and we did a survey of maple producers trying to understand their perceptions of climate change and what they're doing to adapt. And the reason why we wanted to do that study is because our climate is changing and maple production is heavily dependent on the forest, the type of forest, the health of the forest, and also the weather, the specific you know, climate over time, but also the specific weather patterns that vary dramatically every year. And so we wanted to get in touch with maple producers and find out how they were adapting to the change in climate and what their plans were for the future. The first step in the process was to define the terms. What is climate change and what does it look like to maple producers? People had um, a variety of different definitions of climate change. And the most frequently mentioned were a change in weather patterns or severe or unusual weather events or storms. And also increasing temperatures was something that a lot of people mentioned. Only a very small percent, only 3% of respondents um, felt that, indicated that climate change is a political ploy or hype. Um, so, you know, the vast majority of maple producers who, who responded to the questionnaire did seem to think, it, it was an open-ended question and they did seem to think Climate change was real, it was happening. For maple producers, climate change isn't subjective or something to be debated. The climate within which they work has been undeniably changing. We're in New England, right? There's always been wacky weather going on, on you know, a year to year, a month to month, even like a day to day basis. And the University of Vermont. Maple Proctor Research Center has done done a lot of research, and um, Cornell also has done a fair amount of research 
looking at how how um, maple production and how the climate has changed over time. And some of the biggest changes are that the season starts earlier and it's a shorter season. So we have we have records from a sugar maker in Vermont, in central Vermont, Washington County, that were kept from 1870 to 1940. And we're, you know, and then um, people started collecting data at UVM and Cornell. So we have official data that we can match up with that. And, you know, back, back in the 1870s, um, people were tapping not until around April 1st, and the season would end in early May. Um, by the 1930s, the tapping date was about mid-March, and the season would go through April 15th. And the the shift in the ends of the season, as well as the the shorter season, um, matches up with data that's been collected by UVM Proctor Maple Research Center, which showed that between um, the early 60s, 1963 and 2003, um, producers who had had who had sugared continually had been in production in New England during that period. They were starting about eight days earlier and finishing about 11 days earlier. So the length of the season has gone from about 39 days to about 33 days. These changes in weather patterns are having a big impact on how maple producers do their job. So the most common responses were, it's harder to predict when to tap. And um, people are tapping earlier than usual. They're also concerned about wind damage to trees and different, you know, sort of major weather um, events that are damaging their sugar bush or just making it harder to, to manage the maple production season, ice damage to trees, wind damage to trees, a general decline in the health of their maple. People, there have been some concerns about the decrease in the sugar content of their sap and that the flavor of the syrup is off. And in terms of, you know, looking looking at their forest health, people have expressed concern about um, new invasive plants or increases in invasive plants, as well as ticks and tick-borne diseases, such as Lyme disease, and um, flooding of, of the maple bush and roads and, you know, more of the concerns related to these, these um, major wind and ice storms and weather impacts. So climate change is clearly impacting maple production. But surprisingly, Vermonters are actually making more maple syrup than ever. Overall, what's happened is the season has started earlier and gotten a bit shorter. But what's interesting to see is that maple production yields have steadily increased. And that's due to technology and also increased demand for, for maple increased prices for um, what, you know, what maple producers can get, which is, of course, 
an incentive for people to produce more. So the increase in demand combined with all the new technologies, the many new technologies, really we've seen um, steady increases in syrup production in recent years. Syrup is a high-tech game now. My grandfather used to take horses out into the woods on the farm to collect buckets of sap. That's not how it's done anymore. Back in the old days, you would drill a hole into the tree, put a spout in, hang a bucket beneath the spout, and the sap would, you know, drip, drip, drip. Or on, you know, when it was really running, it might come out faster, you know, come out faster than a drip. You know, the classic picture of a big maple tree, a big sugar maple with a a wooden or a metal bucket hanging off of that tree. That, you know, that's beautiful to look at. And certainly people still do some hobby tapping that way. However, the way the real production happens is with tubing systems, which you've probably seen if you've driven through the woods, you know, blue tubing or um, different colors that run between the trees and run down, allows the sap to come right out through the tubes and run down downhill to the central collecting facility so that you don't have to um, go around from tree to tree and collect each bucket. And now there are vacuum systems, different ways of pulling the sap, sort of sucking the sap out of the tree. So you don't have to wait for the drip, drip, drip. And that tubing allows the holes to stay open for much longer periods of time. And through, you know, through cold and warm spells, you can keep that same hole open and be pulling the sap out. Those are just some of the ways. I mean, there's a variety of different ways that people are have used technology to um, dramatically increase yields for maple production. And it goes beyond vacuum tubing. Scientists are getting really high tech to figure out how to keep the sap flowing. UVM um, Proctor Maple Research Center has um, more experimental research going on now some of which they they look at saplings and actually draw the maple, draw the sap right out of the tops of saplings. So it's, I mean, that's something that's very different from what's going on now and is not, it's just in the research phase. But, you know, there are people at UVM and people at Cornell that are looking at a variety of different adaptations and innovations for continuing to increase maple yields and maple production. You would actually just start with a field and plant these maple saplings, kind of like a plantation. And then you can just top off the saplings and connect tubing to them and just, you know, pull the sap right through the saplings. It's vastly different in that now you need mature sugar maples. 
And sugaring happens in, you know, in a diverse forest. I mean, you've got your sugar burst, but for the health of the forest, you want to have diversity in there as well. And this is a, a really different type of production in that, you know, it's more, it's, it's, you know, much more of sort of a plantation style, you know, very controlled um, way of producing so hopefully with all of these innovations, we'll have plenty of syrup, no matter how the climate changes. You know, more and more people are starting to tap in the fall as well as in the spring. When the sap is running is when it tends to be above freezing during the day and below freezing at night. And that happens in the fall as well as in the spring. So more and more people are starting to tap in the fall. Now there are some current concerns that the, the syrup quality may not be as good in the fall. And people aren't quite sure how, if you tap in the fall, how well does your sugar bush recover so that you can tap again in the spring. So when people are tapping in the fall, they're more likely tapping areas that are less accessible in the spring. For example, areas that, you know, would be would be too wet or muddy to access in the spring, but you can access them in the fall. So we now have this, you know, some people doing this tapping in the fall, and we have more and more people that are, you know, there as soon as it's warm, whether it's in January or February, they're, you know, they've got their tubing in and they're ready and they can, they can start um, collecting sap. And then they can keep that going throughout the season. There was some speculation, and I will say, this is, this is speculation that what could potentially happen is the spring tapping season gets earlier and earlier and eventually, so, you know, you've got sort of these two separate seasons with the fall and the spring, and eventually, potentially, they merge. And people are, who knows how long it will take and if this really will happen, but eventually, people could be, you know, putting tasks in, in the fall and keeping the tasks open throughout the winter and the spring. I love this story. And it's not just because I love maple syrup and now I'm not as worried about it disappearing. I love the example of these tough, resourceful Vermonters. They are so inspiring. They're experiencing climate change firsthand. But instead of despairing, they're moving forward, adapting, and doing what they need to do to keep alive an industry that they love. This should be a model for all of us going through these changing times. Doing this research definitely made me feel better about the future of maple production in in the Northeast. One of the questions we asked producers was, what are your plans for your maple business for the next five years? And we found that maple producers were really very optimistic about the future of their business. And uh, over half of them were planning to expand their number of taps or expand their products. 
you know, go into not just syrup, but maple sugars or candies or, um, you know, a variety of different other products. And only about 10% of the people we surveyed were considering shutting down their business in one shape or form, you know, either retiring or closing or selling their business. And a lot, in a lot of those cases, it was because they were getting older and there weren't nests. So either they were passing it on to family members or, you know, there weren't family members to pass it on to. So, um, you know, it was really, um, it was very encouraging to see that maple producers overall, you know, the people who, who, people who are out there, you know, in the woods and in the snow, collecting the sap and boiling all night long, like they seem, they had plans. They were planning to, they were planning to expand and grow or keep things the same for the most part, with only, you know, only about 10% thinking of scaling back and closing. So because of their optimism, that definitely, um, I think, bodes well for the future. They feel pretty good about their ability to adapt. I mean, sugaring has you know, it's very weather dependent, even on a, you know, day to day, week by week, hour by hour basis sometimes. And so these maple producers in Vermont and the rest of the Northeast, they're, they're ready. They know how to adapt. They can handle this. They know there's new technologies that they can use. And just, you know, in terms of their timing and in terms of their flexibility, they're ready and they're on it. So I think the combination of, you know, their experience having to adapt always, you know, for as long as they've been sugaring um, with their optimism for the future. I thought that, you know, that really bodes well for maple production in the Northeast because, you know, really it comes down to are there people, are there people in the woods, in the forest, on the ground who want to keep making this industry work and they're, there clearly are. It's not that their head's in the sand and they're ignoring it or denying it. It's that they're on it. They see it, they feel it, and they're adapting to it in a, you know, a very real way. I think as long as demand is strong, I think as long as there's continued interest, I think there are sugar makers who are out there who you know, they love what they do and they want to keep doing it. Sugar makers are so passionate about what they do. They, you know, a lot of them wouldn't give it up for anything. <laughs> they love it. It's, you know, it's a big part of their lifestyle and a huge part of, you know, what they look forward to every year. Finally, it's tapping season. I'm, you know, I'm in the woods and I'm in the sugar house and I'm smelling that sweet the sweet smell of that sap boiling this is you know it's something they love and they're not going to give up so so what's fun about working with sugar makers and talking to them is they love what they do and they're you know i think that helps them to be optimistic about the future so it's not like you know you're talking to a bunch of people who are worried about what's next you're talking to people who have always had to deal with crazy weather fluctuations and they're dealing with it, they're working with it, and they're moving forward. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can find more episodes at beforeitsgone.show or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you really like Before It's Gone, consider becoming a supporter. Just go to beforeitsgone.show and click on the donate button to find out how.